Hello, welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod, we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment, think healthcare provision during a pandemic, think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In the first episode of Series 3, I speak to Fred Werner. Fred works for the United Nations, specifically the UN's International Telecommunication Union, or ITU. He takes a strategic lead on the ITU's AI for Good digital platform and global summit series. In the interview, Fred reveals where he thinks the most rapid innovation is happening and why the growth of AI is as much a human issue as a technical one. But first, we discuss the overall AI for Good mission to meet the UN's sustainable development goals. Good was basically created on the premise that we only have a few years to achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and AI holds great potential to advance uh, many of those goals. So in a recent uh, mapping that they that was published in uh, the scientific uh, journal Nature uh, last year, they basically identified that 134 of the UN SDG targets could be positively impacted by AI. So what we're looking at here are areas like uh, healthcare, uh, applications for disabled persons, um, you know, uh, customized learning for uh, education, uh, different applications for uh, mapping agriculture production, uh, food supply, uh, lots of uh, use cases around uh, the prediction and management of uh, natural disasters, uh, lots of solutions, use cases around uh, mobility, autonomous driving, robotics, and also things along the lines of uh, spotting uh, in inequality, whether it be uh, g- gender inequality or or economic uh, inequality. So there's no shortage of uh, positive AI for good use cases, if you will. Uh, but also on the flip side, we saw that there's about 59 targets that could be negatively impacted by AI. So the, the most obvious one, I, I think that's top of everyone's mind is uh, job loss. Uh, you know, are we gonna lose our jobs? Are we gonna become irrelevant? Um, a, a recent study by the ILO showed that millions of jobs could be lost, but also millions of new jobs could be created. But how do you basically handle that transition? Because it's one job's not going to be automatically replaced by the next job the, the day after. There's going to be a bit of a messy transition there. Uh, also looking at things like uh, bias. So uh, a lot of AI applications are, are used in decision making these days. So if you're going to be hired, if you're going to get fired, if you're going to get a student loan, if you're going to get a mortgage, are you going to be paroled from prison? Um, many of these uh, applications are, are powered by machine learning and basically making decisions on, on your behalf. So we have to ensure that these decisions are made on, on valid data sets that, that aren't uh, you know, completely biased. Uh, there's also the issue of ethics, for example. Uh, I mean, the classic example is the autonomous car driving down the road and it's maybe on a bridge and there's a child crossing the road. Should it kill the child and save the passengers or, or drive itself off a bridge. And and, uh, and, and that, that's not a new problem. I mean, that's a, a classic problem going back to the the, the, the days of the, the, the trains and trolleys. So it was called the trolley problem. And, uh, but still very much uh, top of mind. 
Of course, uh, things like uh, privacy when it comes to uh, facial recognition, uh, deep fakes, um, privacy is, is a, a serious, serious issue. Also, how do you handle data in the sense that AI needs big data to work. Uh, if there's no data, it's not going to work. But how can you handle it in a way that you can share data in a way that respects privacy and on anonymity, but is also useful enough to make the uh, application you know, deliver on its promise? Um, there's uh, basically the digital divide is, is a big one, especially when it comes to the UN and the, the SDGs, because developing countries potentially have the most to gain from AI. Uh, but they also have potentially the most to lose from AI, depending on which which way it goes. And again, going back to the data issue is in order for AI to work, you need to have mass digitization. You need uh, you need data. And uh, but for data to work, you need connectivity. So quite often it comes down to the basics of uh, electricity, telecommunications and things that we take for granted in the West, but that need to be in place. Uh, for developing countries to, to benefit from these applications. And um, last but not least, uh, basically the, the, the fear or promise, depending how you look at it, of, of general AI. Will we become irrelevant or will it somehow create a kind of utopian uh, society or, or dream world that some people might be wishing for? So th these are all things that are of, of concern to, to, to our uh, participants. But having said that, there are far more use cases, positive use cases than negative use cases. So I, I think the, the, the promise of AI is, is still very encouraging. And simply put, the goal of AI is to identify practical applications of AI that exist today in, in the near term, or you know, let's say three to five year timeline uh, to advance the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, and those are supposed to be delivered uh, by 2030. So there's not much time left. And also, how can we scale those solutions for global impact? Well, Fred, it sounds like a, a huge scale and scope of work that you're looking at. Who, who is involved? What is involved? Tell us a bit more about the the day to day of it. Yeah, well, first of all, we, we can't do this alone. So since the beginning, the AI experts have said AI is too important to leave to the experts themselves. So we created the summit and we brought on board 38 UN sister agency partners. So that's virtually the entire United Nations system. Um, but on top of that, we basically tried to bring to the table as many different voices to the table. So whether it's uh, CEOs of big tech companies, uh, leading AI researchers from top academic institutions, uh, representatives from civil society and, and NGOs, um, we also bring together uh, artists, uh, people from the creatives, whether they're, they're artists, musicians, sculptors, uh, athletes, uh, obviously uh, government officials from our member states. So virtually everyone has a, a seat at the table, uh, young, old, uh, interdisciplinary, uh, develop, developing countries, uh, being very mindful of uh, gender balance as well. And also the, the summit itself is organized by ITU and ITU is the United Nations Specialized Agency for Information and Communication Technologies. And basically we do three things. We uh, basically allocate and uh, harmonize radio spectrum. And we also uh, allocate satellite orbits. Uh, we develop international standards that underpin modern telecommunication networks. And we also do development work to help uh, developing countries bring up their ICT infrastructures. So looking at all those standards, you and I wouldn't be having this video call if it weren't for IT standards, uh, you know, standards on connectivity, on video compression, on fiber, telecommunications, all these pieces that need to be agreed upon internationally are probably the reason why we're able to speak right now. 
And um, maybe one thing that's important to highlight as well is ITU's membership model. So we're the only uh, body in the, uni in the UN system that has uh, a public-private um, membership composition. So we have 193 member states. We have over 900 uh, technology companies as members and 150 universities. So I think if you look at all those things put together, it basically made us uniquely placed to, to lead on the topic of AI in the UN system, because we do work with member states, with private companies, we deal with uh, information communication technologies. And I, I think it was quite timely that we jumped on the, the topic. But like I said, we can't do this alone. It, it all comes down to our partners and stakeholders. And that, that's how it is what it's been today. And how do you bring it all together, Fred? You talk about the summit, like, do, do you meet, do you have a summit? Like, is there an annual thing or how does that work? Well, it, it started as a, a physical event uh, in 2017. And if you remember in 2017, it was probably the peak of AI hype in the media where you had a uh, Sophia the robot and uh, lots of uh, coverage on media with uh, terminators and drones killing people. And, and so it was very much top of mind. And at the same time, uh, we basically used the chance to, okay, that there was all this hype going on, but we, we, we saw a need to, to bring people together to, to help and create a responsible narrative for AI, but more importantly, to create you know, meaningful and actionable collaboration around AI to generate practical applications to you know, advance the SDGs. And, and these come in, in many shapes and forms. So it started as a, a physical summit in Geneva in 2017, then it doubled in size in 2018, doubled again in size in 2019. And then I think we were looking for uh, the biggest venue in Geneva when COVID hit. And since then, uh, we basically decided not to wait for COVID to pass or try to find some kind of alternate solution. We just decided to go virtual and to start with our weekly programming. And we weren't really sure at the time if people would go for it, if people would connect and uh, that there was a lot of unknowns. But we've seen that since we've gone virtual, it's really helped us to scale our mission and to reach more people than ever before and really become the most inclusive and diverse platform in AI globally. And just to give you an idea, the physical summit used to bring uh, roughly about 2000 people together in Geneva. But looking back, it, back, it was maybe a bit elitist because not everyone can afford to fly to Geneva, especially developing countries. Uh, since going virtual, we've been able to reach 150,000 people online. Uh, we more than doubled the amount of developing countries uh, participating. The gender balance went from about 35 to 47%. So the, the virtual format really lent itself to more uh, diverse uh, gender representation. And also the total number of countries went from about 100 to 170. So apart from you know, everyone missing the, the physical contact and handshake and looking people in the eye, um, on many of the touch points, it, it's actually helped us to scale our mission greatly. Hi, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of the Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this pod. And if you want more, why not head over to techforgood.net for some amazing and thought-provoking stories. You can read about one company's mission to use digital technologies in the fight against HIV or learn how social media can help refugees take control of their narratives. For those insights and more, read and subscribe at techforgood.net. Now I want to talk about what um, what steps you have taken so far on on this journey, Fred. But before we do that, I'm sure the listener would like to learn a little bit more about you. So what's your your own background and, and your your role specifically in all of this? 
Yeah, so I guess you could say I've always been in the business of, of bringing people together. <laughs> so even back when I was living in Brussels, I was working in associations, uh, working with European uh, Commission, uh, always in telecommunications and uh, information communication technologies. And when I came to ITU, basically one of the first things I started working on was the AI for Good Global Summit. And it started in 2016, uh, where we had the World Telecommunication Standardization Assembly, which is basically our treaty setting conference, uh, just to help you visualize uh, a thousand plus people in Tunisia, you know, hammering out international standards and our work plan for the next four years. And at one point we we're thinking, how can we make this how can because our delegates work really hard for two weeks <laughs> hammering out these documents and resolutions and we wanted to give them a taste of, of the future so we organized a few sessions on the future of ai and we we found the response to be astounding i mean our, our delegates were really grateful thank you this helped just open our eyes and think about the future and when we got back to geneva we started working on basically an itu paper that would be shared with un partners on AI. So how can AI advance the SDGs? What are the opportunities? What are the threats? What are the use cases? What do we need to be mindful of? And I think it was probably quite timely and well received and maybe a, a little bit ahead of the curve. And that formed the basis of the agenda for the first global summit. And since then, uh, I mean, the, the mission of the summit has always been the same, but obviously it's, it's evolved and and matured as we get a, we have a better understanding of AI, of the use cases, what it's good, what it's not good for, and uh, where to put our energy. Uh, but I guess you could say it's always been, uh, or at least personally, my my goal has always been bringing people together, maybe acting as a kind of bridge between the technology world, the the business world, and the policy world, and acting as a kind of translator and bringing people together who wouldn't normally get together in the same room to build a collaboration around different efforts. And yeah, this has just been a, a great opportunity. And uh, But I also think we're just at the beginning, even though we're five years in, I feel we finally built the springboard needed to actually go that to that next step to 2030. And you, meant, you mentioned, Fred, that you know, the, the clock is ticking. 2030 might seem a long while away now, but obviously it's going to be here before we know it. Maybe you could talk us through some of the the tangible kind of steps that you've made so far, because I guess it's important to emphasize that, you know, these events, they're not, they're not just kind of talking shops either. You, you want to real, you want to really make kind of progress and take steps towards, towards the SDG goals ultimately. Yeah, definitely. And actually one of our, one of our catchphrases is that we're, we're more than just a talk shop. So, so thank you for leading me into that, into that question. Um, but for, for sure, we uh, since the beginning, we, we said, look, there are enough talk shops and we want to be action oriented. And there's no point bringing all these people together if you're not going to do something. And uh, from the first summit onwards, uh, we built a number of really important collaborations and which are working on practical hands on things. So the first one was what we call the AI for Health uh, focus group with the World Health Organization. And maybe before going into topics, uh, I could explain a little bit. The a focus group is a pre-standardization effort and uh, collaboration, which uh, typically would look at the lay of the land, you know, where technology is today, what standardization exists, what doesn't exist, where are the gaps, you know, where do we need more collaboration, what are some of the bottlenecks. And we found that in a way, these uh, pre-standardization efforts are creating the preconditions for scaling and de for deploying AI and scaling AI for good problem solving. Because if you look at 
AI, and quite often, if you want to take the use cases beyond, let's say, uh, a very developed economy or, or a lab setting, and, and really have those benefits delivered uh, at scale across countries, across uh, different languages, different time zones, different standards, uh, a lot of problems exist that need to be solved. And a lot of these problems are things like data, for example, you know, how, how can you share data in a way that's that's safe, what are the different techniques, what, what are the data formats, the data models, how do you label data appropriately so that it can be shared. Um, you're looking at things like different frameworks and models, uh, also benchmarking, uh, how can you measure if something is performing well or, or not, uh, identifying best practices, creating a community of best practice, and all of these things lead to the precursor of standardization, which goes into international standards. And those, I like to think of the building blocks for being able to roll out solutions at scale. So we launched a number of focus groups. Uh, the first one was uh, AI for Health. And basically they're working on an AI for Health benchmarking framework where they're looking at the testing and benchmarking of the efficacy of AI for Health algorithms. And um, so if you imagine if you're a, a policymaker or a, you know, you're running a hospital or you're, you're a mayor of a city or you just need to, how can you actually decide if an AI algorithm is performing adequately or not? Right now, there's, there's no way for you to do that. And if you look at typical drug delivery, you know, a, a new drug might cost a, a billion to develop and take five years and be approved by the FDA before it goes on the market. And at that point, there's some kind of trust that it's gone through a process and it's safe and you know this is something we can use or consider and there's huge amounts of really positive ai for health use cases um, whether it's using your mobile phone to detect skin cancer or to see if you have diabetes by photographing your eyeball or it can detect by the sound of your cough uh, you know what if you have tuberculosis for example and these are all wonderful but they're they're going up on the app store you know you basically have the, the guys at Apple basically deciding if this is good or not. And if you're running a city, that might not be, you know, your, your benchmark for if you should maybe look at that use case for your city or not. So, and there's a lot of things that maybe don't occur naturally um, to developers, uh, startups, or even people approving the apps on the app store. So things like, does this app work equally well on a man or a woman? Uh, does it work equally well, well on a, uh, people with different uh, skin color? Uh, does it work equally well on child or on the elderly? And um, these are really important things, especially if, if, if it's something that's gonna inform your future health policy or you're gonna spend money on something. So what they're working on there is, yeah, basically a benchmarking framework that will help you to decide what is good or is it adequate or not. Um, another example that came out of the second summit is the AI and autonomous driving focus group. And basically what they're working on is the equivalent of a driving license for AI on our roads. So basically what, what they'd like to see is if AI is gonna be used in autonomous driving or assisted driving or, or different levels of autonomy, you know, what's the decision-making framework and the benchmarking framework and the best practices that, that are gonna be used to implement those systems. So really important work going on there. And, you know, you and I had to pass a driving test at one point. Uh, so I think the, the idea is that at one point, if you're deploying some kind of autonomous driving system in a car, that it too should have to pass a kind of virtual driving test. And um, so they've, they've been working on that. 
We also have an AI and uh, environmental efficiency working group. So the basis for that is that AI has a, a lot of potential to increase en energy efficiency. Actually, there's a study by PwC that says AI could help reduce uh, emissions by 4% uh, by 2030. So that's uh, not much a concrete example, but maybe a specific <laughs> prediction. Uh, but at the same time, AI is very energy intensive as well. I mean, if you look at all these, uh, you know, data centers and data farms and servers, I mean, they consume a lot of energy. So we're looking at both sides of, uh, of the coin. And we recently launched an AI and natural disaster management focus group with the WMO and UNEP. And they're basically looking at best practices on how AI can help to uh, predict uh, better uh, manage and mitigate natural disasters, whether they be uh, floods or tsunamis or earthquakes or droughts. And all, all. so there's a lot of uh, use cases there, especially using a satellite imagery where you can really look at the lay of land and, and predict areas that are susceptible to flooding or, or maybe to earthquakes or landslides and different things there. Um, and last but not least, uh, we, we just launched an AI and road safety uh, group with the, and that's being launched on October 6th. And that's with the, the UN tech envoy and the UN road safety envoy, Jean-Claude, uh, head of FIA as well. And they're, they're looking beyond autonomous driving, but looking at the whole road infrastructure ecosystem where, you know, it's not only cars, but also pedestrians and cyclists and trams and all scooters and <laughs> all types of things. Uh, so that, 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 that's a new initiative. So, so those are really the pre-standardization efforts. Um, you could say building the building blocks, blocks of scaling AI for good, uh, working with key industry partners, uh, key UN agencies like WHO and WMO, UNEP. And, um, but also we have other initiatives. So for example, we have a thing called the Innovation Factory. And that's actually, uh, I mean, think of it as the, the Shark Tank, or I'm not sure what it's called in the UK, uh, Dragon's Den. It's a little bit like a Dragon's Den for AI startups using AI specifically in a way to advance the SDG. So these are real companies, real startups. And then we go through a year long uh, competition where you have different pitching rounds and uh, the, the best solutions uh, basically win at the end. And that's uh, another example of, in, instead of building collaboration, uh, you know, solving difficult problems that, that don't have solutions yet here, these are existing solutions that are actually, you know, on the market or about to go on the market. And I think it's equally important to identify those that you and I might buy as a consumer, you know, as well as developing standards or more abstract things that are needed to make everything work together. And maybe last but not least, um, in the beginning, I, I mentioned the, the arts and the creatives. And we saw a really interesting thing where it was on the third year of a summit. Looking back, um, it ended up being one of the nicest surprises where we invited artists that are using AI to push the limits of artistic creativity and human performance. And we had some presentations and performances, let's say in the evening or on a sideshow. And it ended up actually informing and inspiring the, the discussion of the, the summit, probably more than the technical sessions in the sense that if people can see artists using AI to you know, do wonderful things and create new types of art, probably equivalent to modern photography a hundred or so, or more than a hundred years ago, uh, you, you're seeing the equivalent now where people are using AI to create new types of music or new sculptures or new poetry, what, what have you. Um, and that really changed the whole narrative where, you know, sh should we be scared of AI or is it going to really end up, you know, this kind of dystopian negative uh, scenario? 
And if you see artists using it positively and creatively, then it, it changes the whole discussion about, well, what is art? What is intelligence? What are we as humans? What do we want? And, and in a way, that's the role of artists, right? Is to, to inspire and to, to help people think a bit out, out of the box. So we, we have an artistic intelligence program, which uh, basically it's, it's a call to artists uh, using AI in uh, different ways. And that's probably the funnest job, part of my job because they come in uh, every week and we get to have a look at them and showcase some of the best ones. And uh, yeah, I think there's a whole new world of art opening up there. Well, Fred, I think that answer and, and especially the last bit there just shows how AI is, is touching every aspect of, of our lives, right? Let, let's, um, let me, I want to get your thoughts on where do you think the most kind of rapid innovation is, is happening at the top of that piece? You mentioned healthcare. We certainly hear a lot about AI and healthcare. Um, is it that? Is, it, is there another area where you think, you know, if we're looking at the SDGs 2030, which, which area of industry or, or wherever do you feel AI right now is having kind of the biggest impact? I mean, I would say again, healthcare. I mean, healthcare is probably, and, and I, I use the, health, the, the example of healthcare because it, it's part sort of industrial commercial applications or maybe things you and I would never see, but also things that you and I might experience directly now or in the near future. And also where the positive effects, if they reach scale, could be really trans, transformative. So I, I think in terms of uh, an industry, that that has a high potential. And it's probably no co coincidence that was one of the first things that came out of the summit as well as it was the first collaboration. Uh, I would say agriculture as well, in the sense that uh, there's huge potential using satellite imagery uh, to, to, to map uh, agriculture and to predict growth. And then there's different applications for looking at uh, plant health, but, it, but quite often it's not AI alone, it's AI combined with different technologies. So in the case of uh, agriculture, it would be AI combined with satellite imagery, combined with big data, combined with uh, IoT sensors, and combined with ro robotics, right? They might be autonomous tractors or drones or robots that are picking fruits or seeding or de-weeding and, and doing all these, these things. And um, so that's definitely a, a high growth area. And also, especially I, I think for developing countries, one. Uh, one, one problem is uh, when it comes to small farmers where small farmers, they're, they're not able to, you know, get, get loans, they're not able to get insurance. So if there's a, you know, a flood one season, well, that's it, they, they can't hedge against that. And, um, you know, insurance companies, they, they, they don't insure people if they don't have any data on which they can, <laughs> you know, create a policy or a model or at least an offering. So if you, if you do have, um, you know, let's say a mapping of uh, agriculture in a certain area, and maybe that's divided among a thousand small farmers, you theoretically, you'd be able to use that mapping to provide microfinance so they can get loans to develop their farming, but also you'd be able to provide insurance where, you know, if you can't see it, you, you can't manage it, you can't provide insurance, but if you, if you can see it and you, you have historical data and models, then you'd be able to uh, apply uh, my, uh, provide them with microinsurance. And I think that combination of uh, providing microfinance, microinsurance would do wonders for, for, for you know, productive land use. And uh, basically uh, there's a lot of things where it's just, you know, the yield per acre is really low compared to developing countries. There's a lot of food waste, you know, through, through the supply chain. And quite often you, you see people just leaving 
for, for the cities because they, they, they don't see that as a, a viable a viable way way of living and that, that's a problem as well is that you have a lot of uh, brain drain and, and talent waste leaving the countryside being concentrated around cities in, in those countries as well so that, that's uh, definitely a, a high use case who says children can't change the world our teenage tech stories podcast showcases the extraordinary work of young entrepreneurs on their way to becoming tomorrow's tech leaders Listen now via the Tech for Good podcast stream or by visiting techforgood.net. Now, you mentioned earlier, Fred, that or you highlighted that there are many more positive applications of AI than there are negative. Do you, do you see it as part of your mission to, to get that message out there as well? Because you said, you know, you mentioned the year 2017 when there's a lot of hype around AI and you're talking, you know, there, there is that still that debate around ethics, bias. Is this a good thing or not? Do you, do you feel that is part of your part of your mission to try and get the message out there that it that it is a good thing and there are so many applications that can make a genuine difference to people's lives? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but also to provide a, a responsible narrative of, of AI. So of course you, you want to highlight the positive use cases balanced with the, the risks, um, but also to help people have a, a better understanding of what is AI, what is it good for. What is it not good for? And, and I think we've reached a point where we we have a more mature understanding of of what it is, and where now it's more about okay, how do we move forward, and and what are the main sort of bottlenecks stopping us from moving forward and, and going at scale? So if, if you're looking at the timeline, I mean, there, there's definitely a, a sense of urgency where I mean, we're 2021, it's almost Christmas, and before you know it. 2030 is around the corner. So any application that's identified today probably needs two or three years to, to develop, probably needs another two or three years to, to deploy. And then you maybe have, if you're lucky, two or three years left, bringing you right up to 2030, where you could see any kind of remarkable uh, you know, effect on, on an SUG, either in a positive or, or in a negative sense. So in that sense, there's definitely a sense of urgency. Um, but also, I think one role of the the summit is really to understand to help people understand the the context. So well, when I said earlier that I personally have you know have played the, the role of a translator, if you will, I think the summit as a platform also plays the role of a translator. Where the goal of the summit is to bring AI innovators. So these would be you know the big tech companies, whether it's uh, Huawei or Facebook or Google or Yahoo, IBM, Microsoft, all, all big tech companies top universities doing top research, uh, we call them AI innovators and connect them with problem owners. So the problem owners could be uh, a UN agency, you know, quite often own many problems to, to, to solve on the ground, but it could be an NGO in, in, in Kenya, it could be uh, you know, the mayor of a city in Vietnam, uh, you know, anyone who, who has a problem to solve and could use that, the help of AI, but doesn't really know how it works or where to even get started. So we were, we're trying to create this connection mechanism where we can try and create a, first of all, a, a sense, a framework of common understanding, also a, a kind of language where people help people, they can to speak the same language. So then if they speak the la same language, they could probably formulate a problem statement that would be understood by the people who could potentially help. Because quite often people don't even know how to frame the problem in a way that an AI scientist might be able to, to help. And, and it goes both ways. 
So really creating that a platform where you're, you're connecting AI innovators with problem owners so they can connect, uh, share problems, and then you have this kind of community of best practice around how to solve problems. And that's where the, the context becomes very important because it's one thing to develop an app in, in a lab uh, in Stanford or Harvard or MIT or in a startup in Silicon Valley or in Shenzhen. But it's, it's another thing to develop that, to deploy that app across 50 plus African countries and, and the challenges that that might involve. And those challenges are things that wouldn't naturally occur to them. So basic things like uh, societal challenges, uh, economic challenges, uh, physical challenges, like, uh, you know, electricity is something waterproof, is it tamper-proof, uh, does it work on a 2G network <laughs> instead of 5G? I mean, the, these are basic things that don't occur naturally. But if you really want to, you know, have solutions that are actually useful in, in those countries, those are things you have to think of. So by connecting these people, they can understand the, the problems on the ground better, and then they they can actually get a better sense of what solutions are available to them. And it might not be the solutions that work in Silicon Valley. It might be something, a, a different version, something very simple, something they didn't even think of that's maybe even more innovative, who knows, you know, but that connection mechanism is, is very important. You've spoken, Fred, with so much knowledge and, and so much detail about this subject, which is really brilliant. How proud are you of what's what's been achieved over the last few years and how excited are you to be part of it and to see what might happen now between now and 2030, the progress we might make? How, personally, how motivating is that for you? Yeah, it's very motivating. And um, even though it's been a huge amount of work um, personally and with my team, I feel like we're just getting started. So um, I, I feel like we, we've, we've gotten through a lot of the difficult hurdles. Uh, so in the beginning, it was about credibility. And then it was about COVID and going digital. And, and then but I feel we're finally at a point now where we have a, a massive audience. We, we, we have all the partners. We, we have, you know, these amazing contributors uh, weekly. So whether it's like Kai Fu Lee, uh, who, who just launched a, a book, 10 Visions for an AI Future, or the, the lead scientist of, uh, of Microsoft, or, you know, Turing Award winners. I mean, that they're all coming voluntarily to the summit to 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 collaborate and, and contribute and you know that's really motivating and i, I think what once one thing that's really interesting is i mean I, i've been involved in sort of technology associations for most of my career and you know if you look in, in the past when you were looking maybe at things like you know 3g or or oh big now it's big data now it's cloud or oh cybersecurity. you know we had loads of conferences and working groups and standards work and, and collaborations around those topics. But those topics didn't really make us look in the mirror and say, hold on a minute, you know, wh what do we want? What are we as human, you know, humans? What is humanity? What is intelligence? What is, and I, I think that AI, I mean, of course it's a technical issue, but I think more than a technical issue, it's, it's a human issue. And I find it really encouraging that through five years of a summit now, the amount of discussions that we've had where, yes, we're talking about AI, maybe automating something and, you know, with a positive business case, but through that forced discussion, you really have to start thinking about, you know, what is it we want for humanity? Where do we want humanity to go? If we have a chance to use the technology to push humanity in one direction or another, which direction is it? And, and these are serious questions. And I can tell you, we weren't asking those questions when we were talking about big data 10 years ago. I mean, big data was just, 
oh great, maybe we can make, make money off this or, or how do we monetize this? Or it, it was a technical issue, but people weren't thinking about what it would do to our children or our, our grandchildren. So for me, that's, that's really encouraging in the sense that AI kind of forces you to look into the mirror and examine yourself. Um, I mean, if you have, you know, imagine you were presented with different scenarios. So one scenario being AI will take care of all your basic needs and then you'll have the free time to do what you want. Okay, sounds nice, but what do you want? And is what you want the same as what Chris wants or what your neighbor wants or what someone in a different country wants? Or if you look on the flip side, okay, AI is going to be this <laughs> terrible uh, matrix type situation where we're basically irrelevant. And okay, in that case, it's not so much what do we want, but how would we stop that from happening? And one good thing also is quite often you have this discussion about when it's what do we want or what is good and what is good for one person might not be good for another person. But, but we always fall back on the UN SDGs because that, that is the one framework or let's say guiding light, if you will, you know, agreed upon by 193 countries where we do agree that maybe we, we don't agree on everything we want, but we do agree that we, you know, want to, you know, try and uh, el eliminate hunger and poverty and, you know, eliminate road deaths and have uh, equal access to healthcare and, and education and gender equality. So. I, I would say there's a good chunk of what do we want already kind of defined and we, we don't really need to reinvent the wheel there because it's there in the UN SDGs. But I think that's probably the most interesting and motivating part of AI for Good is that kind of self-examination of what we want. And if we're going to put efforts on things, um, which direction to go, that, that that's a really important thing. And um, and I think if, if, if we went back a few years to, for example, the mid nineties when you know, you have the dot-com boom. We weren't having those discussions, but imagine if we would have had those discussions in 1996, you know, about data and privacy and security and screen time and, you know, all the things like pornography and sex trafficking and all, all, all these nasty things that are happening on online, fake news and, you know, the effect on kids. If we would have had that discussion back then, I think the internet would be a very different place now. And but I like to think it's not too late. We're having that discussion now, and AI as a technology is probably far more powerful than a, a Web 2.0 website from 20 years ago. So good we're having that discussion now, and maybe if enough people talk about it and put enough energy, which I agree they are, um, we do have a chance of nudging it in the right direction. That was the Tech for Good podcast. Listen, subscribe, and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Stitcher.